You guys doing okay today? Yeah? Good. So what we're going to do today, um, you know, I am the children's pastor. If you didn't know, my name's Leslie. If you have been new within the next last year or so and you've filled out one of the little connection cards and you've dropped it in the giving box um, or off at the table, hopefully I've written you a note. Um, <laughs> I should have written you a note. Uh, so that's kind of who I am. If you didn't have a face to a name, it's because my face is normally back there in the back with the kids. Um, but we are so glad that you're here. And we, we are going to be uh, going uh, a little bit kiddom today, but not too much so. Not too much so. So I hope you guys can hang with us. It's going to be kind of easy. So sit back, relax. Hopefully we're going to have a little fun and we're going to leave feeling a little bit better than when we did when we came in. Um, Last time I spoke with you guys, I let you know that I was becoming super comfortable with the phrase, I don't know. It seems like as I grow older, I am recognizing more and more all of the things that I don't know. I don't know how to raise teenagers. I don't. I have no idea how to raise teenagers. I don't know how to not lose my hair. Um, There's all kinds of things I don't know, but that's okay. I'm becoming a little bit more and more comfortable with it all the time. I'm also becoming more comfortable with I don't remember. (laughs) For those of you who are older, I don't remember is becoming a a phrase that I'm like cuddling up with, you know, and getting kind of comfortable with, and that's okay. And so what I want to talk with you about today is about a couple of things, three things maybe, that I know that I do know, that I pray I will always remember, that at some point, these three things help me in those moments when every other answer is, I don't know. It seems like I keep turning back to these three things. And kind of what got me started thinking about all of this is a couple of weeks ago, I picked up uh, this book that came out in the 1980s. I remember it coming out. I was I'm not going to tell you how old I was in the 80s, um, but I was old enough to know about the book, but I didn't read it. Um, It's all I I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten, all right? And um, it's written by Robert Fulgham. He's a minister. He is a school teacher, uh, an artist, an author, and all of these really good things. And he set out one January, and instead of writing... um, his uh, New Year's Eve resolutions or New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys have written out New Year's resolutions? How many of you have broken them already? Right? Instead of going through that process, what he did is he set out to write a personal credo. So a credo is a set of personal beliefs, right, that you hold dear. And he, and he set out his year writing that, and he wanted to make it really simple. And so this is what he wrote, and out of that credo came this book. This is what he wrote. I'm going to read just a little bit out of the book for you to kind of get you in the mood of where we're going today. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. And these are the things I learned. Share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, wash your hands, flush, warm cookies and milk are good for you, live a balanced life, learn some and think some, 
draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon, yes. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together. And if you take any one of those items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life or your work or your government or your world and hold, it will hold true and clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about three o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankies for a nap. Or if all governments had a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and clean up their own messes. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it's best to hold hands and stick together. And this is the book that I've been reading, and you can tell it's not super, heat, uh, super heavy, it's not super deep or whatever, but it really does hit, those, hit in the deepest places, right? It is always, at one point in the book, he says, um, assembly is required. Like he's talking about putting toys together, and he said assembly is always required, and I love that play on words that we always uh, want to be together. But reading, reading this and thinking about it and it being the new year, I kind of set out to write my own personal credo. And though it is kind of uh, simple and basic, maybe, some would say, it really is of the elemental things that um, I feel I just always go back to. After he wrote the book, uh, he went back 25, year, or 25 years later and wrote a revised edition. And in the revised edition, he said, the kindergarten credo is not kid stuff. It's not simple. It is elemental, and that's kind of where we're going to hang today. Simple is when things are easily understood, with no difficulty, when it's uncomplicated and plain and without decoration. Simple does not describe Alan. Simple does not describe the process we go through to decorate for Christmas. Every year we say, we're going to keep it simple, right? No, there's lots of Lots and lots of decorations, right? But we like that. So simple is without decoration. Elemental is when something is primary, all right? It's basic. It's pertaining to first principles. So there's a difference between simple and elemental. And it's these elemental things that we're going to look at. And because it's not kid stuff, I did think that you guys might get a little something out of it too. In fact, I've already had a conversation with somebody this morning who's going through a hard time, and her words were, it's okay, he is good. And that's one of the things we're gonna talk about today. So they're elemental. One of the best parts about being with the kids back there all the time as an adult is I always have to strip it down to that. It always has to be that elemental. You can take whatever story, whatever circumstance, whatever lesson you're trying to teach, whatever, whatever book of the Bible, whatever story from the Bible, and you have to strip it down to the elementals. So it is these three beliefs that I, wanna, um, that I find myself at some point every Sunday saying to our kids back there. Um, and those three things are, God is good, just as we just sang. God is good. God loves you greatly, and we have nothing to fear. 
So those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. God is good. God loves you greatly. And because of it, we have nothing to fear. Now, these things aren't simple, are they? But they are elemental primary principles. And if they're true, if they're true, we can extrapolate them out. And they will stand clear and firm. And you'll be able to hold on to them. And as I thought about all of this, I did ask a couple of people um, what they learned from their Sunday school sandpile, right? What is it? What are the things that you learned that you're still holding on to or that you had to unlearn? And let me read you some of their uh, responses. And I asked people from church and a few friends um, throughout the, the, the states or whatever. All right. Number one thing, you get donuts before church. I'm like, yes. We're on the right track. Number two, right answers get you candy. <laughs> felt board characters are cool. They're doing felt board characters in the back today. I think that's hilarious. You know, you know it was cool way back in the day, and then it was uncool. It's cool again. I love it. Uh, then there were all the answers that were, uh, you know, people learned God loves you, but. There were a lot of God love you buts. God loves me but it is my responsibility to avoid sin and punishment and, by the way, to prove my devotion. Can you imagine putting that on a first grader? Not only are you not supposed to sin, you're supposed to avoid punishment. What message is that sending? Hide the sin, right? <laughs> to avoid the punishment. And then to prove your devotion? Wow, that's a lot for a kid in the Sunday school sand pile. God loves me, but punishment is at hand. It's always that. Yeah, he loves me, but I better not, better not mess up. He loves me, but he judges me. And then this is the crying shame of it all, because I will never measure up. And there's a lot of people that are walking around this world that have this kind of view of God and this view of themselves in front of their God. Yeah, you love me, but I better be careful. I better watch out. And of course, you know, there were those who learned that secu secular music and dancing were bad too. So um, those are the things that we're carrying around with us as we go through this life with our church backgrounds. And then there were a lot of people who didn't even go to Sunday school. And there's a part of me sometimes that thinks that maybe they're better off than some of us. Um, and that's not to say that, that Sunday school was all bad back then. I think people were just doing the best they could with what they have. And that's okay because a lot of us learned really good stories and really good things too. Um, and it's not that these are bad, but these are not the things that I want any kid that visits Grace Kid or stays in Grace Kids or any, anyone that walks through these doors, these are not the things that I want you to walk away with and remember from our little sand pile here. And so this morning as we go along, um, I do want you to think about what your credo might be. What are the things that you hold on to, that you go back to time and again, time and again, when you face hardships or questions or uncertainties? What are those things that you, you say to yourself? And if you wanted to, if you wanted to write them down in your bulletin or if you wanted to write them down on your connection card and drop them off either in the giving boxes or somewhere, I'll read them, I promise. Because it helps me to know what you're thinking and feeling too. I would love to know. 
Um, but let's, let's talk about that first principle really quickly here, and that is God is good. I'm not going to spend tons and tons of time on this. Clark did a great job last week talking about it. If you missed it, um, go ahead and uh, give that a listen. He did a great job telling us about how good our God is. Clark said, God's goodness is the ground for our expectation. He quoted A.W. Tozer, the whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we all believe we dwell under a friendly sky. Psalm 25.8 says, good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 34.8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you take his goodness and you extrapolate it out, it will hold true and clear and firm. If he's good, then even in the hardest moments, even in the most troubling circumstances and unimaginable things that we face, even in those times, somewhere, somehow, his goodness is there to be found. In death, in sickness, in any kind of lack, when we feel stuck and alone or unsure and we're crying out going, ah, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. Somewhere, his goodness can be found. And if we can remember this elemental principle, this isn't simple stuff. This isn't without discomfort or difficulty, right? But it is elemental. The reality of his goodness never leaves us. I have a friend that um, a few months ago lost her husband unexpectedly. He, was, he wasn't sick, he wasn't hurting, he went to sleep, had a, thought he had a little something going on. By 10 o'clock that next morning, he was gone. Married the same, about our age, and married about the same amount of time as Alan and I, gone. And just watching her, both of our kids are uh, seniors in high school. In fact, the seniors were at like their Sunday, their first uh, day of school, uh, they, they watched the sunrise together. And that's where her daughter was starting her, her senior year. This is hard stuff. And I see her, she posts all the time. And I think every time, at least every time I see her post, somewhere she's got something good to say. Somewhere she's finding something good. It shows up sometimes in the kindness of a friend. It might show up in the kindness of a stranger or some little favor or some little light at the end of the tunnel, right? Maybe it's in the warmth <laughs> of a favorite pet who falls asleep next to you. We have a cat. He falls asleep on my lap all the time. He purrs. And I think, I wonder, did God make cats purr just for me? <laughs> because what good is it doing the cat to purr, really? But when I'm holding him, like that, I can feel it, right? Is it in the sound of your toddler daughter asleep in the crib, in the room next to you? Because sleeping toddlers are a beautiful, beautiful thing. Beautiful reminder of his goodness, right, Lauren, wherever you are? <laughs> yes, ma'am. There's goodness there. Maybe it's in the warmth of the sun on your back. There's goodness there. And in our little sand pile in the back, we don't shy away from, in this world you will have trouble. We don't. We're not afraid of it. I can't be. One day I was talking to the kids, uh, this was years ago, I was talking to them about, uh, you know, their good father, and I was just kind of talking about God being a father and all this. This little girl, I think she was five or six years old, she raises her hand, she goes, um, my daddy's in prison, 
And I was like, oh, I need to redefine. I need to make sure these kids know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that he wasn't a good dad, but she didn't have any idea of what I was talking to. What she was, what she was recognizing was very different from what I was saying. So I have to be careful. Our kids back there, a number of them have already been through lots of difficulties and lots of hard times. I can't tell them it's all going to be awesome out there. They know it's not, right? But what I can do, what we will highlight is the reality that if we stop for a minute and we look around, we will see God's goodness. We will see it everywhere. God's goodness is everywhere. His goodness is all-knowing. And his goodness is all-powerful. Last week in Grace Kids, as Clark was in here talking to you guys about God's goodness, I was back there uh, talking to the kids about John Baptist, because that's kind of where we are in our storyline, John the Baptist. We talked about the camel hair, and we talked about the locusts and the honey, and we talked about all of those good things that we need to know. But what we spent the most time on was John's message, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? And I asked the kids, I'm like, how many of you have ever heard the word repent before? And about half of them are like, huh? And I said, what do you think it means? And they're like, nah. You know, they don't know what repent means. And so um, I had one little little boy who like courageously said, it means to be sorry. I'm like, okay, not bad. I said, there's an element of repent that, you know, there's probably some I'm sorry in there. I said, but... Let's look at it this way. What it really, what repent really means is change your mind. And so, and I think I was sitting right next to, it was really funny, Scott and Dolores, wherever you are, I was sitting right next to Charlie and um, their little one. And, uh, no, he's big now, he's not little. They're right here. And um, I said, now, if I got mad at Charlie and I hold off and I hit him and I like came really close to his face and he kind of went like this, you know, I wasn't going to hit him, I promise. Um, I got right here. I said, if I wanted to repent afterwards and say I was sorry, I was like, yeah, that's a part of it. I said, but the real thing is that I would need to change my mind about how I acted in my anger, right? And so maybe next time, instead of hitting Charlie when I was mad at him, maybe we could just have a conversation about it. I'm like, so it's, it's a part of, you know, there's, there's an I'm sorry part, but there's more of changing your mind about how you act, right? Or how you think and how you believe. And so we talked about how that day and age, those people, the people that John was talking to had this belief about God that, that a lot of us grew up with, God loves me, but punishment is at hand. I'm going to disappoint him. I'm going to, I have to obey. I am responsible for making sure I stay straight with God or he's going to leave me. And I said, what John wanted to tell them was to change their mind because the kingdom of God was coming to them and he would change everything. He would explain everything about this new kingdom that he was introducing. And so back there, What I want our kids to know is that in this kingdom, we get the sweet stuff because God is good, not because we have the right answers, not because we do the right things. And like Clark said, we get the cookies because God is good, right? We want our Sunday school sand pile back there, out here, wherever. We want it to be a place where people are allowed to come in and change their mind about God if they they need to. No matter their circumstances, no matter their story, no matter what they're dealing with, no matter what they're doing, we want people to know as they come in that they can expect to see God is really, really good. 
And we'll keep eating donuts before service too. So that's always good news, right? When we think about God's goodness and his love and we extrapolate it, it will hold true and clear and firm. So God is good. And then our second elemental principle is that God loves you greatly. Now that you is singular, right? It means you personally, you personally, but it's you collectively, you plurally. Down here in the South, we say all y'all, right? It's all y'all. It's all of us. I've lived here, however, 30 or whatever many years now, I can say all y'all, all right? The Bible tells us that God's love is for individual people. After all, he knit us together in our mother's womb. I'd say that's a pretty personal process, right? Um, there are all the individuals who encountered God in one way or another. From Jonah to John, Tamar to Timothy, Nicholas or Nicodemus to Noah, the woman at the well and the woman who got caught doing, well, you know, right? God was involved in all of their individual stories. He was there. He was with them as they walked through the difficult times. As they made choices, good and bad, he was with them. And he loved them individually. He gave them the freedom to make choices. And he was with them as they walked through that. If this great love, this great love for us individually is true, it will remove all of the God loves you buts, right? That so many of us experienced as we grew up. That's not the way of a good father. That's not the way a good father loves his children. For those of you who have kids, or for those of you who ever had a father, it kind of covers us all, right? Um, what are your favorite memories with them? Is it the time that you yelled at them or the time that you sat with them? Is it the time that you um, punished them or the time you went fishing? Is it the time that you sent them off to their room or is it the time that you sat with them on the couch and snuggled, right? The same is true of God. His favor, he's, not, he's not waiting and wanting to punish us, right? That wouldn't be the way of a good father, but he is wanting to sit with us. He wants to listen to us. He wants to hear us. He wants to impart some of his wisdom to us. He wants to go fishing. He wants to hang out. He wants to be with us. How many of you still sing, speaking of kids' church and all that, how many of you still sing Jesus Loves Me in the hard moments? How many of you find yourselves doing that? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. He are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Je what is it? Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Right? We still sing it. It's elemental. It's basic. But it's there, and it keeps us strong still, even in the hardest of moments. And the Bible also tells us he loves me, but he loves y'all too. And y'all is y'all. Even the ones that we think are them, <laughs> right? There's us and there's them, right? Whoever the them is to you, God loves them too. They're included 
in the all, y'all. We're all his children. John 3.16 says, for God to love the world, right? Ephesians 2.14 says, Jesus is reconciling peace. He reconciled all of us to himself, both Jew and Gentile. Somehow, somewhere, we're all included in that. And I love the way uh, when Jesus talks about us becoming his children, he covers rebirth and adoption. He covers them both. There's no corner, you know, left. There's no, let, okay, we get these wrong all the time. There's no stone left unturned. I, about, I just about mixed my metaphors there. There's no stone left unturned. There's no angle he didn't explore, right? Rebirth and adoption. For we all know that just because your bio dad is there, it doesn't mean he was a father. And just because your father isn't your bio dad, doesn't mean he's not your father, right? God covered it all, all the bases. He is our father. There's no way out of that. We are his children. And if you take this love for yourself and for others and extrapolate it, it will hold true and clear and firm. And if we share it, with others. What a better place this world would be. But fair warning, it can and it will make you uncomfortable to love like that. There are a hundred or so uh, love one or one another's in the Bible. Some of them I don't even want to do, like wash each other's feet. Like, nope, we can just skip that one. We can move on. Let's go to one of the others, you know? Um, I think, can we just call that like a cultural thing and, you know, do something different? Um, okay, great, thanks. I'm so glad you're all in agreement with me on that one um, because that makes me so uncomfortable. Um, my feet are gross, and I imagine that yours are too. So we'll just move on from there. Um, so, yeah, we're not going to do that one. Um, but loving people isn't simple, it's not simple. How many of you have difficult people in your life that you're called to love? Ah! They're there. Yeah. How many of you know that you're the difficult one to love? Right? Right? Delia's back there pointing fingers at Lucy. I don't know about that over there, whatever's going on. Ah, like we know it, right? We know it. Loving people is not simple. It's not, but it is elemental. It is first principle stuff. Back there in our little Grace Kids Sunday School sand pile, we talk about God's great love all the time. And we even have felt board figures that we pull out to show it. They're using one today. Steve and Vanessa and uh, Ryan are back there today and they've got a felt board and the whole bit. But our felt board figure is of Jesus down on one knee, with his arms held open wide, welcoming all the little children, all the snot-nosed, dirty, stinky little children. He's welcoming them all. That's the felt board picture that we paint back there. And every now and then, you might catch us dancing. Just don't tell anybody, okay? Um, but because God's good, God is good, and his love for us is great, we can begin to understand what Paul and the Passion Translation Bible say in Ephesians 3.17, and that is that the life of Christ is released deep inside of us and the resting place of his love. I love that so much. The resting place of his love becomes the very source and root of our life. 
a life of goodness, a life of love, a life of resting places. Doesn't that sound awesome? Sounds awesome. A few months ago, Matt described um, rest as a paradigm shift, right? It, rest is an attitude. It's not us just always kicking back on the couch doing nothing, but it's an attitude shift. And we know that how we are loved and how good God is, when we know how we are loved and how good God is, we know that we have nothing to fear. There's nothing, like, he's so good, he loves us so much, he's kind of big, he's kind of strong, he's kind of all-knowing. We don't have anything to fear. And so our third principle, our third elemental principle is we have nothing to fear. Luke 12, 32 says, um, or Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock. I love that so much. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Do not fear is the stuff of apostles and angels and prophets and poets and warriors and saviors. It's not simple. It's not. One time I was uh, talking to the kids in the back and talking, uh, telling them to um, not be afraid and do not fear and all this. One little boy raises his hand and he goes, um, excuse me, Miss Leslie, are you telling me we don't have to be afraid of spiders? And I was like, okay, okay, you got me? Uh, spiders, snakes, whatever, you know, those things. Okay, we don't have to be afraid of them, but we can respect them greatly, right? We can respect them. How about that? And so he was good with that answer. Do not fear is not simple, but it's elemental. Moses says to Joshua, the Lord goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. David says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Isaiah reports God saying, do not fear. I am with you. The angel Gabriel tells Zechariah and Mary, do not be afraid. John reports Jesus saying, don't worry. Ah, that's so hard. There's difficulty in that. Don't worry, Jesus says. Don't surrender to your fear. Remember I'm good. Remember how much I love you. Think all the way back to Adam and Eve for a second. They had a massive fear problem. They had a fear of missing out. How many of you know FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out? Adam and Eve had that. They've got these two trees. There's one they can eat from. There's one they can't. They're like, ooh, all they're doing is looking at that one they can't. They're afraid they're missing out on something, right? They eat of it. Then what happens? They're afraid of everything. They're afraid of everything. They're afraid of being seen. They're afraid of getting caught. They're afraid of God himself. They're afraid of each other. They're afraid of everything. Shame and guilt and fear are things that we carry around as elemental principles our whole lives, <laughs> right? Fear is this massive thing that we carry. How many of you recognize when you're yelling at your children? You know, just say, you yell at your kids occasionally, I don't know. How many of you realize you're afraid of something in that moment? Alan and I do it all the time. Ah, you're not telling the truth. Or what, what am I? I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of something. It's everywhere. When we worry, we're af when we when we go to bed worrying, we're afraid we're not going to get up, or we're afraid we're not going to meet the deadline or get the thing done, or 
be seen for who we really are, right? What are you worried about? Probably fear mixed in there somewhere. Elemental things here. Jesus says, God says, our helper who lives inside of us, lives inside of us to remind us, don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm good. <laughs> I love you. We're good. Back in uh, Grace Kids, um, uh, eh, if your kid's back there, you may not like this, but I don't promise that I'm going to keep your kids safe. I can't. I'm going to do the absolute very best I can to keep them safe. We have doors that are locked. We have walkie-talkies. We have people in there with me. We're going to do the best I can. Just last week, a kid fell. He came home with bloody knees. I can't keep them completely safe. I can't. In this world, I can't promise safety. But you know what? I can promise security. Because it's not based on what I'm going to do. It's not based on what you're going to do. It's based on God. And so I tell them that even though they may go out into this world and it may be an unsafe place, they are secure as children of God. So it's not always going to be safety. I don't know. We can do our best. But we can hold to security. We can hold to do not fear. And like I said, I promise I do the best I can to keep them safe. You don't have to worry about it. It's not like I chuck it out the window or whatever. All right? All right? The other thing I tell our kids, the other thing I tell our kids is that they don't have to be afraid of failing. They don't have to be afraid of failing. And the way I do it is like this. I'll have them all there, and I'll say, okay, I want you guys to raise your hand. If I say something, I want you guys to raise your hand. I'm going to have you guys do that with me this morning. So, how many of you have ever told a lie? Okay, and for the one or two of you that are not, there's always a kid that doesn't, and I say, you're lying right now, right? I'm like, we have all told a lie. How many of you have ever said you would do something and you didn't do it? How many of you have ever snuck food out of the pantry when mom said not to? How many of you have ever shoved the toys under the bed when mom said clean your room? How many of you have ever been mean to the kids sitting next to you in class or to your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister? I don't have any brothers and sisters. How many of you have been mean to the kid at class? And every single time, we all raise our hands, right? We've all done those things. And I don't do it to shame the kids. I don't do it to make them feel badly about themselves. But I'm doing it because we're learning to confess our sins to one another. And there's no fear in it. What I want them to know, what I want them to see, is that we've all been there. We've all done it. We all are doing it but we don't have to be afraid of those things. We don't have to hide those things because then that's yet another, you know, that's another thing we have to hide is that we're hiding. It's another thing to keep track of. How much better, how much better would life be if we all just took a breath and we're like, dude, I messed up today, <laughs> you know, and we were able to confess our sins like that to one another. And what we can learn in all of that too is that, that, that kids us, our neighbors, our friends, we don't have to be afraid of failing. We don't have to because we're all, <laughs> we do it all the time.
but because we have a God who is good and a God who loves us, we don't have to be afraid of it. And so this is my little credo. God is good. I can hear the kids in the back. Can you? God is good. He loves us greatly, and therefore we have nothing to fear. These are the elemental things that when you extrapolate them, they're not always simple, but they will always hold true and clear and firm. And this has been a really fun process for me to think about these things and to really boil it down, to strip it down. One of the best parts about being an adult is that, like I said, is, is you, have to, you have to get to the elementals all the time. And so I would kind of challenge you to do it if you haven't already. Maybe go home and think about it for a minute. It'll be fun. If you guys would go ahead and stand, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for these promises that you've given us. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for loving us as you do. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.